expectations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Well, good afternoon. It's always good to be with you. Um, it really is, a, is always a joy, uh, not only to fellowship with you, but to, to share in God's Word together. Um, last time I was with you, we started Second Peter, and uh, we had the same passage uh, that I spoke on. And uh, as I was uh, preparing, uh, looking at Second Peter, looking at the next, uh, just reading through the letter, and uh, I, just, I thought, you know, there's, there was more that I really wanted to, to say uh, that I didn't get a chance to, so, um, so this is kind of uh, part two of the, <laughs> the sermon from last time. And uh, Brother Mark just shared about a, a pastor who oftentimes would uh, preach a second time on the same passage because he was still working things out for the following passage. And <laughs> while I'm still working some things out, uh, I just thought it was really important, certain things here uh, to, to talk about and be reminded. Speaking of reminders, um, in verses 12 through 15, uh, you, you see Peter's urgency with which he, he wants to remind us of things. In verse 12, uh, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. The next verse, 13, I think it is right to stir you up by reminding you. And in verse 15, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things. So uh, this repetition is, you know, threefold repetition there in those few verses. You see that there's something very important that he wants us to remember. And uh, twice in verse 12 and in verse 15, he says, uh, a reminder of these things. And what are these things? And that's what we started to talk about last time uh, in those preceding uh, 11 verses. It, those are the things that he wants to, to, he wants to remind us of. So last time we focused um, on primarily on what things that God has done for us. And um, uh, there's, there's really two aspects to, to verses 1 through 11 here. Um, there is the aspect that he wants to remind us of what God has done for us, is doing, and will do. But there's also the aspect of wanting to remind us of what we ought to be doing and in, uh, in, in our faith. And um, so that's kind of what I'm going to focus on this time. But as I mentioned last time, uh, his urging us to action is all predicated or built on what God has done and is doing and will do in us. And so I just want to briefly uh, review that. And uh, looking first at the very first verse, where it says, To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Right there, those who have obtained. And I, I mentioned that word, in fact, uh, in the New King James here, they, they have a note that says that word can also be translated received. And I mentioned that the several instances of the, the use of that, that Greek word that's translated obtained here, uh, in the other context had to do with uh, Judas being appointed a disciple uh, and the, the, casting lots that, and the, the lots falling to uh, Matthias. So uh, obtaining that office through lots. And in both cases, you see that the word obtained is not how we typically think of it, you know, in, in present day English as something we strive for and we get ourselves, but it's something that we, that uh, falls to us, that we received. Um, and, um, and he underscores that by, by mentioning uh, this, uh, we have obtained this precious faith 
by what? By the righteousness of us? No, not of us. By the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he includes in the title of our Lord, Savior. It's, it's, uh, that's not insignificant. So, uh, in the very beginning, Peter wants to remind us that our faith is something that we have received and our salvation is of Christ. It's through Christ, by Christ, and of course, it's for him as well. Um, so we have in verse 1 that appointed faith, uh, we've been appointed or we've received a faith. In verse 3, he mentions the, uh, his divine power. So God's divine power has given to us all things pertaining to or leading to life and godliness. And that life is that we talk about the Zoe life. It's that the life that Jesus talks about when he says, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, to know, and to know Jesus uh, whom you've sent. So that life is not just living and breathing uh, because Ephesians talks about we were formerly dead in our trespasses and sins. But the life he means here is that life in Christ, that, it, that we experience in Christ, so his power gives us that life and his power uh, gives us all that we need for godliness as well. <clears throat> all th- and has given to us all things uh, leading to, to godliness, leading to life, towards life and towards godliness. Um, and, um, and the godliness is that, that character, that, that what characterizes us is the nature that we have by God's power. Uh, it's our, our new nature that we have in Christ. We are new creations if we are in Christ. So we've, that's a gift, something we've received. In verse uh, 3, he also mentions, uh, through the knowledge, uh, he's given us these things pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Again, he called us. Jesus said, um, you did not choose me, I have chosen you. And this is love, First John says. Not that we've loved God, but that he first loved us. The calling, it's, it's initiated by God. Uh, and, then, and then in verse 4, um, he mentions the, the exceedingly great and precious promises that we've received from God. That through these, through these promises that he's given us, uh, you may be partakers of the divine nature. What are these promises? It's everything that we've received in Christ. Not only our justification, but our sanctification and our glorification. All of these things, um, these are things, these are the precious promises that come through Christ. And through these promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. That we, that new nature, where we become new creations and we share in the glory of Christ as we're transformed into the image of the Son. And um, we have almost to to underscore these things, we have, as I mentioned before in verse 1, the title, Savior, given to Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. And then at the end of our passage, uh, in, in verse 15, or verse 14 rather, he says, knowing that I shortly must put off my tent just... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus who saves. So so that's the foundation uh, for for what we're going to be talking about next and what uh, the the rest of the reminders that that Peter is giving, giving us here in this passage. 
Now, in my lifetime, um, you know, I I've, grew up in the Reformed Church, and uh, in, my, in my life, I've seen two tendencies uh, in the Reformed community. One, um, the tendency towards uh, placing such an emphasis on our uh, inability and our depravity. Uh, it's what my uncle calls the worm theology. Like, there's nothing good that I can do. And we believe in God's sovereignty and salvation. There is nothing we can do. But sometimes there, there is uh, such an emphasis on that, that w- what God promises us by the Holy Spirit in, in our sanctification process and in this transformation that begins now. Of course, it's, it's not, not completed until our glorification, but it begins now. But sometimes there's such an emphasis on the one that we lose sight of that. And I remember, you know, being in some uh, circles where I, I just generally felt, you know, I was thankful for the just, my justification in Christ, but I generally felt hopeless because, man, you know, I, I know I'm a depraved sinner. There's nothing I can do. I guess I just have to wait till I get to heaven. And it was kind of a hopelessness. Uh, and it was what Dr. Krabendam calls a truncated gospel. You know, he always talks about the threefold gospel. And that's what we read in Ezekiel. Um, earlier in the service, God says, I will cleanse you of your filth. That's that justification. I will cleanse you of all of your filth. And he says, I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And, and that is something that, that leads to a new life, to something that looks different. And, um, and then he says, and I will put my Holy Spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. So again, we see that it's God initiating, but there's something that does change. There's a different character uh, in us when we have the Holy Spirit in us. Um, and we can never uh, forget the importance and the, the significance of that promise. that God has given us his Holy Spirit and that we are not the same when we've been born again through Jesus. Um, uh, but there's, there's a, the... Um, the other error that I've I've seen, and I've been in some circles, uh, this uh, kind of some of the new perspective on Paul, where there is a reaction towards that, and so there's this uh, this kind of uh, return to um, a, almost a works based uh, salvation, where our justification is wrapped up in what we're doing too, and so that you make better make sure that you are. Um, you're not sinning because if you sin, then maybe you're not in God's covenant. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an emphasis um, as such that it removes the, the, the justification uh, that is through Christ, through faith in Christ alone. Um, and it's not based on our merits. And um, so there's, there's those two errors. We always want to avoid uh, those two errors. And I think as I've, I've meditated on this passage, I've seen that um, the Lord, through, through the Apostle Peter here, really gives us the full picture. And he gives us, you know, as he says, he gives us everything that, pertaining to life and godliness. And um, so, so today, um, I'd really like to focus on, on Peter's, uh, what he urges us to do here. There's, you'll notice twice, he says, uh, be diligent or give all diligence in verse 5. He says, For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. 
So he says, give all diligence. Um, and that diligence there, that word can also be translated uh, earnest, uh, earnestness, to be earnest. And um, it's, you know, it's that picture of, of, of having a, a desire for these things and being, not being just kind of, you know, blasé about it, but I, Lord, I want these things. I want these things. And um, uh, in, uh, in, so then verse five, giving all diligence, add these qualities to your faith. Um, in verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. So, um, so first I want to take a look at the, um, those qualities that he, he lists. So looking at verse 5, but also for this very reason, uh, be diligent, be earnest, or giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then he lists seven qualities. Um, the first thing I want to note is, he says, but for this very reason. And what is that reason? Well, if you look at the pre preceding verse, he says, um, uh, through these pre exceedingly great and precious promises that... Uh, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, in Jesus Christ, when we have been saved by Him, we have escaped this corruption that's in the world through lust or through sinful desire. And this, as we read, uh, as we heard read in Galatians a little bit earlier, in the Galatians passage. It said that um, it gave a list of the works of the flesh. And it said, um, um, we will not inherit the kingdom. Uh, for those who, who uh, practice these things will not inherit the kingdom. Uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 5-7, to seven, it says, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So there's a, a, a seriousness that, that Peter wants to remind us of, the seriousness of the corruption and the wrath of God that is coming because of that corruption. Later in, in that letter, this letter of 2 Peter, he speaks more at length about God's uh, second coming and the destruction of the ungodly. But when we have that in mind, when we realize what we've been saved from, that, that is what ought to, to make us even more earnest to walk in the newness of life that has been supplied to us by the Spirit. So, um, for this very reason, be earnest to add or to, to supplement your faith or to, to furnish your faith with these seven things. Now, I want to note that he begins by saying, add to your faith. And what did we say in verse 1? That the faith was something that we've received from him. It's a gift. So all these things are built on this gift of faith through Jesus Christ. And really, all these things will only come through faith. These seven qualities only come through faith in Jesus. Jesus, uh, all things begin and end with Jesus, including our faith and our sanctification. So um, 
if we start with the understanding that our faith is a gift from Him, now let's look at uh, what, what are some of the things that, that uh, Peter's urging us to, to, um, to furnish our faith with. Well, it's interesting, several of these things are in that list of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we, we heard a little bit earlier uh, from Galatians. We have um, patience or perseverance, we have self-control, uh, love. Um, these are things that were mentioned as fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit of the Spirit, well, if you have a tree that's bearing apples, where are those apples coming from? Did someone come and paste them on the apple tree? Probably not. They came from the tree. They, apples come from an apple tree. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to produce any of these fruits. And so we're, we're reminded in that passage in Galatians that it's the Holy Spirit that produces these things in us. It's not us picking ourselves up by our own moral bootstraps or just trying harder. But it's, it's um, recognizing that faith in Christ and the Spirit, His Spirit at work in us that will produce these things. Um, that's what gives us the encouragement and the, uh, that we need to, to live these things out, to let these fruits uh, be born in our lives. So I want to take, just briefly take a look at each of these uh, fruits here, these, uh, these qualities. Add your faith, virtue. And virtue is, uh, there's the different ways, there are different translations translated uh, differently. Um, sometimes that word is translated excellencies. Um, but uh, I just wanted to bring to your mind Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 16. Because these virtues is... Uh, moral character uh, that that shines, that is that is apparent. Um, in Matthew chapter five or sixteen, Jesus says, "Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Glorify your Father in heaven." So virtue, true Holy Spirit born virtue, will always point people to God the Father. Uh, so it's not a virtue that's, that is self-exalting, but it's a virtue that's God-exalting, Christ-exalting. And in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises, or some translations say the excellencies, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that same word that's translated uh, praises or virtues or excellencies is the same word, word that Peter uses here in our passage today. So um, the purpose of that virtue that Peter is, is calling us to is to point people to the Father, that they might give him praise, that you might proclaim the, the, the virtues or the excellencies of who? Of yourselves? No, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a virtue that shines. So when we think of good works, we're thinking about those good works that point people to God. Um, the, the second virtue he mentions is knowledge, or, or uh, gnosis. And um, it's a knowledge 
We think when we think of uh, what uh, Colossians tells us, Colossians chapter two, it says that uh, in uh, God the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we, when we recognize the source of all knowledge, if if Peter is urging us to add to our faith knowledge, where are we going to find that knowledge? We're going to find it in God, in Christ, and by pursuing Him. In Second Peter, uh, Second Peter. Uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, listen, uh, Paul is con- or Peter's concluding his letter, mentioning some of Paul's epistles, uh, other parts of Scripture. He says, in which, are, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, that since you know that there, there are going to be uh, people twisting the scriptures to their own destruction. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But instead, on the contrary, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So growing in that knowledge is coming, it's continuing to know Christ, to commune with him through prayer, through fellowship with his body, and through his word through his word and studying the scriptures that we might be preserved from, from the, the error of lawless men. Um, the next quality he mentions is self-control. And uh, self-control is, is the idea of um, the, in the, the, um, Concordance, uh, Spiros Sodhati's um, Greek concord lexicon, he says, uh, he translates it or uh, defines it as the, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially the sensual appetites. So we see a, a, a juxtaposition against the way we used to live. Right? Um, in... In 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 4, as we just mentioned a moment ago, it says that uh, when we're saved, uh, it says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust or through sinful desire. So on the contrary, we've been saved out of that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is a beautiful passage of, of what God does when He... Uh, removes us from that when he saves us from that he says and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins we were formerly dead in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we also uh, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Whatever our flesh desired, that's what we pursued. We were by nature children of wrath. So living out the desires of the flesh and living by that, just, just a, a, a constant living by the desires of the flesh is, characteristics, is characteristic of the children of wrath among whom we all once lived. But he has saved us out of that. And now 
our lives ought to be characterized by an opposite self-control. No longer living out of those sensual passions and desires. In uh, the next, the next uh, quality here is patience. Patience, which um, is an idea, it's sometimes it's translated uh, in other translations for this verse as well as other places in the scripture. It's translated as perseverance or endurance. And uh, that idea of, of endurance or persevering has the idea of it's, we're going to experience trials. We're going we're to experience oppositions. We're going to experience hardships that will tempt us to just want to give up. But we're admonished to, to persevere, to have patience. Um, that same word um, translated here, there's a couple of other passages that really uh, flesh that out for us. It says in Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 4, for whatever things were written before in scriptures were written for our learning. Here it's con- connecting into to growing in knowledge, right? Through knowledge, we, uh, we, we become familiar, familiar with the scriptures. Uh, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So the endurance, the, the patience that we receive through becoming, through growing in the knowledge of the scriptures, leads us to have hope. In Luke chapter 21, verses 16 through 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's, he's telling them what they're going to be experiencing, what they can expect. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Does that sound very hopeful? <laughs> he says, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. He says, by your patience or your perseverance or endurance that's motivated by hope, possess your souls. So, so this, this patience that, that uh, Peter is urging us to is a, is a perseverance, uh, is an endurance that comes through having the hope that we learn of, of in the scriptures through the gospel. And he says, adding to perseverance, godliness. Godliness. And I talked a little bit about that uh, last time I was here. Um, godliness is uh, the idea of devotion to God or piety, and um, that, uh, that godliness, when, it, when we're characterized by godliness, there's, there's a growing desire to, com- to want to commune with the Lord, to want to fellowship with His body, to want to seek Him in His scriptures, to want to pray and draw near. And those are good things, because as, as we do that, we're transformed into His glorious image we become more like him in second corinthians we're reminded that that it was when moses would spend time before the lord for the face of the lord that his face would be radiant with the glory of god and he's and paul says in second corinthians how much greater is the new covenant now that jesus has come in the flesh and has completed his work how much more and given us the ministry of the spirit pour out the holy spirit how much more glorious are, are we uh when we spend time with the Lord, it says we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed from glory to glory. So that godliness, uh, there's a couple of verses I just wanted to read here. Um, 
he said in first Timothy, Timothy Paul reminds us, for bodily exercise profits a little. When you exercise, when you do your 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 running or jogging or you know lifting weights, these things they're profiting your body, they're they're making you healthy. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It's the idea of you know, we're, we're transformed in the glorious image uh, of our Savior and uh, we experience the glory in the life now and we also um, look forward to, to the glory to come. And that godliness, again, that comes through devotion to God. Um, in, and that godliness should not be an outward conformity. You know, and we, we always want to avoid uh, just... Just a a, a, um, a, a the hypocritical or a, um, uh, a a godliness that's just on the outside. You know, the Pharisees were often um, Jesus' most Jesus's most harsh uh, harshest words were towards the religious leaders. He said he called them whitewashed tombs. Yeah, on the outside you you might look nice, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Your your righteousness. Is is not and is not the righteousness from God. It's not a true righteousness. It's a it's a it's a mask. And so we don't want that kind of godliness, but we want a true godliness that comes through communion with Christ. And Paul warns uh, in in First Timothy chapter six verses three through six says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And there, there is a, um, of course, there's the, the, the prosperity gospel, which was alive and, and well in Jesus' time. You know, if you're truly blessed, you'll be rich. And so the, 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 those who are wealthiest were most highly regarded because they must be the most righteous because they're the most blessed by God. And it was just looking at this outward uh, blessing of riches. And um, God made it clear that that's not, that, that wealth does not equal righteousness. And, uh, and of course, we see some of that in the prosperity gospel. But there's even a, 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 another type of prosperity gospel that that's... Um, affected or infected uh, the evangelical church in our nation with this idea that if um, if you just do the right things, do the if you're godly, then you'll be blessed, whether it's financially or whether it's just with a life of ease or um, or um, you know that that it, we we do these things so that we can get certain things in life that we want. And uh, he, the scripture makes it clear here that um, that this godliness is not a means towards something else. It's just a true devotion to God and a love for Him, and wanting to be near Him and be like Him. Then we have, um, after that, this brotherly kindness, brotherly love. Philadelphia, <laughs> the city we're in today. <laughs> the city of brotherly love. And, uh, of course, we know that that brotherly love is impossible apart from Christ. That uh, love is born of God, and if, if 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 a man does not have God, he cannot love his brother. And um, 
in Romans uh, 12.10, the, the Lord reminds us, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And what, is it, what should it look like? He says, in honor, giving preference to one another, counting others uh, more important than yourselves. So that, that brotherly love that we're called to is really putting others uh, above ourselves. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the gospel through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So it's, it's a love that puts others first. And then he ends, the, the, the last um, quality here is love, all right? the agape, the agape love. And this is a love that is not of the world. We love because God first loved us. That's right. And this is how we know that we've been born of God because we have love one for another. This is how we know we've, been, we've passed from death to life when we have love for the brethren. In, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, In this, the agape of God was manifested towards us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. In this is agape. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans, remind us, Romans reminds us that God demonstrated His love for us in this, that Christ died for us while we were sinners. That's right, while we were His enemies. And so we're called to love in the same way. That is an impossible thing. Even as, as believers of the Holy Spirit, we, I, I'm sure you can all attest to how hard that is at times, how difficult it is to agape someone. It's not a love that I love you because it's easy to love you or because you're giving me something in return, but a love that, that does, has no regard for what you are receiving. And that is so hard at times. In fact, it is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But this is why it is so good as we finish looking at that list to, to be reminded that this is the grace of God. That He, His divine power, has given to us all things leading to life and leading to godliness, leading to these, uh, these qualities that, that Peter is urging us to live by. Now, um, and I want to end by, by noting here, as we look at these qualities, um, the, the second be diligent um, urging that, that Peter gives us here in verse 10 uh, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Well, what's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> well, look, look just before it. Um, and, and starting in verse 8, two verses before that. For if these things, these seven qualities just listed, are yours and abound, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does an apple tree produce? It produces apples. Right? What does a, a born-again Christian who uh, has been changed by the gospel of God produce? That is, someone who's received the Holy Spirit, we produce fruit of the Holy Spirit. We will, we would, we will not be barren or unfruitful. And in verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. 
and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Blind, blind to what? Um, and I, I thought about that. What, what, what exactly is that blindness to? Blindness, I believe he's referring to the blindness of the glory of Christ and the gospel. Um, I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where he says, uh, oh, I apologize, I don't have it here. Um, but he says, the gods of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from beholding the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So, the blindness that I believe Peter's referring to here is not a becoming blind, but it's someone who's blind to the gospel that's never really seen and beheld the glory of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And um, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. In Romans 6, he says, you... Um, We've been buried with him in baptism and raised to a newness of life. That we should walk in the newness of life. And if, if we don't understand that we have been cleansed from, from our sins, then perhaps we have never been cleansed. And this is where I believe that, that uh, what, what I believe that Peter's getting at here in verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, more earnest, to make your call and election sure. Now we just spent, you know, the first part of the sermon looking at how our our salvation is not something that we we work, that we earn, that we generate, but it comes from God. And he says, "Be diligent to make your call and election sure." If you've been called and you've been elected, well, <laughs> that's something that God has done, right? So, are we are we working our calling and our election through these things? No, but we're demonstrating the fruits of it. We're showing that God really has called us and has elected us and that His Holy Spirit is in us and that, is, that uh, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in us. And so we ought not to treat these things as just a, well, it'd be nice if, if maybe I could be a little more loving or maybe if I could have more endurance or perseverance, but these things are essential and they're not produced by us. They're produced by the Holy Spirit. So if you were to find, you look at your life and you find that these things do not characterize your life. Not that you're perfect, because it's still a striving. That's why he's urging us to it. But if you find that none of these things characterize your life, then perhaps you need to call out to the Lord for salvation and say, Lord, I want to be saved. But if, if you have been saved, if you know the glory of the gospel of Christ, then look, be earnest. Look to manifest these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look to exercise these fruits, these gifts of the Holy Spirit here, these gifts of the gospel. <clears throat> um, I want to close by, by looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12-13. through 13 which I think is just a beautiful summary uh, of, of these things here. And it says, we're admonished to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to do his good pleasure. So there we have, there we have really everything that Peter's been talking about in this, this whole passage here. That we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, recognizing what a great salvation we've been given, what great and precious promises we've been given, and from what terrible wrath to come we have been delivered. And as we do that, this ought to, ought to, um, ought to catapult us into uh, working out uh, our salvation through adding to our faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness, brotherly kindness and agape love, knowing that it's God working in us, not only to desire it, to be earnest, but also to do it for his good pleasure, that he might be glorified. And that brings us full circle to that Ezekiel promise, right? God is doing this for his great name, that he might be glorified. It is for that reason that he's washed us with the, uh, sprinkled us with clean water, made us clean, cleansed us from our filth. It is for his, the glory of his great name that he has taken out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And it is for the glory of his great name that he um, has given us his Holy Spirit and caused us, given us the power and caused us to, to um, walk in his ways, to walk in godliness. So as Peter reminded us, so I remind you and remind myself uh, to, to be earnest, to, to uh, add to the faith we've been given these fruits of the Spirit that come from him. Let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your great salvation. We thank you for the great and precious promises of your gospel. We thank you, God, that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness, that you have made us alive when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world. We thank you, God, that you've brought us into your marvelous light, into the kingdom of your beloved Son, the eternal kingdom of your beloved Son. We thank you, God, for giving us the great gift of your Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to to work these fruits that show that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that that we might walk in them. We thank you for this powerful gospel, Lord. We thank you. Uh, that you give us your word to remind us of these things. We ask, God, that this week that we would be mindful, that we would be diligent, that we would be earnest to add to the faith you've given us these fruits that you're working in us, the fruit of of virtue and knowledge and self-control, of endurance uh, through trials, of, of, of godliness, devotion to you, drawing near to you, of brotherly kindness towards one another and an agape love that does not look to, to exalt ourselves or to um, serve ourselves, but looks to serve others and to serve you. God, we pray that you would also use us in this world to proclaim your excellencies, the excellencies of your gospel, and that uh, we might be vessels of your saving work, reconciling the world to yourself through the blood um, of your cross. And uh, God, we ask that, uh, that you would go uh, with us in all these things. We pray these things through Jesus' name. Amen.